You're listening to Lewis Silkin Radio. Hello and welcome to Lewis Silkin's Tax and Incentives podcast series. I'm Cathy Granby, Legal Director specialising in Employee Incentives, and I'm joined today by my colleague, Matthew Robotham, who's a partner and head of our tax practice at Lewis Silkin. Today, we're here to discuss the increasing popularity of moving to employee ownership with a particular focus on a specific model called an Employee Ownership Trust, or EOT. Now, in the changing landscape of business ownership, becoming employee-owned has emerged as a compelling alternative for agencies. The Employee Ownership Association estimates that in the UK, the employee-owned sector contributes over £30 billion to our GDP, and the sector is estimated to be growing by around 10% a year. But what exactly are EOTs, and how do they work? What are the benefits of the structure? Does it have any pitfalls? And where do you need to be as a business to truly embrace it? So hi there, Matt. How are you? I'm well, thanks, Cathy. How are you doing? Great, thank you. So really, it's over to you on the first question. Employee ownership has become a bit of a trendy phrase, but what does it actually mean? And how is it different from employee ownership trusts or EOTs? Yes, and we'll save everyone the length of employee ownership trust. We'll just refer to them as EOTs. Uh, So employee ownership is the um, umbrella term Um, And it covers lots of different structures, but the general idea is that a significant proportion of your business is held by employees of the business rather than, say, outside investors. And when we're talking about employee ownership, we normally go one step further than that. So employee ownership is when a significant proportion of your business is held by a a broad cross-section of your employees. So not just the managers, which is quite a common model. You have owner-managers who founded the business. On the other hand, EOTs, Uh, are a much more specific kind of structure. EOTs were created um, in 2014, so the government introduced them. And the idea behind EOTs was to highlight the existence of employee ownership as an ownership model and to incentivize people to consider moving to that structure. So very deliberately, the government introduced um, a range of tax reliefs that are only available for businesses that are transferring to an EOT-owned structure. And in short, if you uh, meet various conditions, and one of the crucial ones is that the EOT has to, at the end of it all, hold more than 50% of the company. But if you meet all of those conditions, you can get capital gains tax exemption when you sell your business into the EOT. And you can also get some income tax exemptions on uh, bonuses of up to £3,600 per annum um, for the employees. And it's subject to a wide variety of conditions, but those are the sort of headline things that uh, uh, people tend to find out about EOTs first. So when is an EOT a good fit for the business, would you say? It can be suitable for all sorts of businesses, but one of the ingredients that we often see that that sort of goes into this decision is that you've got a combination of um, an ownership or or leadership team that's looking to sell, but they also want help with a um, succession plan and uh, an EOT, as we uh, will come on to, that can help support uh, succession planning. There's also normally another ingredient which any business could, if they wanted to, go, go down a much more conventional route of, of a trade sale, so a sale to perhaps a, a larger business in the same sector or, or a sale to private equity. 
normally there's a reason why businesses are looking at employee ownership rather than those more conventional routes. And it tends to be to do with the sort of mindset or culture within the business. Very often those businesses have a bit more of an independent mindset or culture and and they don't want that to be lost in the course of a a sale to an outside investor. So they want to retain that degree of independence. Um, And in those circumstances, uh, EOTs can be a good fit. I I say that um, employee ownership can help support a succession plan. It doesn't create it. So um, the owners and managers of the business still need to think about what the business is going to look like uh, post-employee ownership, who are going to be the managers of the future, because all businesses, whether they're employee-owned or not, need some kind of management teams, need some leadership team. Okay. And what sort of things would a business need to consider before it would decide to structure in this way? We see businesses approach this from all sorts of different angles. An important angle is valuation. So when a business is sold into an employee ownership trust, that can be for a price that's anywhere up to the market value of the business, cannot be more than market value, can be less than market value if if the owners of the business are feeling uh, quite generous towards the employees, but uh, it can't be more than market value. So because you aren't dealing with a a sort of a, a typical arm's length negotiation with a, for example, a trade buyer, Um, uh, the owners of the business will very often want to get a professional valuation. In fact, we strongly encourage them to get a a professional valuation as part of the whole process. And that professional valuation, it can help give them comfort that commercially a move to employee ownership is going to be worth their while. Um, It's not expected that owners will simply give away their business to the uh, employees, although that's facilitated if, if people do want to do it. So the owners will normally want to um, get comfort that there is a sort of, if you like, a fundamental commercial viability to um, going down this route. But then there's a lot more that they need to think about uh, beyond valuation. That's often an, an initial conversation, but the, the broader conversation will be around the cash flow. So um, how the purchase price um, will be paid. and the, the sort of identity of the trustees. So an EOT, as I mentioned, it's an employee ownership trust. So that the trust structure is essentially a system by which a group of individuals or a corporate body holds assets on behalf of other people, in this case, the employees. So you need to choose trustees who are going to effectively act as custodians for those shares and safeguard the interests of the employees in the future. And you need to think about corporate governance more generally. So very often employee ownership is uh, implemented with a view to having greater degree of transparency amongst employees, greater levels of employee engagement and feedback, um, which of course is uh, consistent with the employees owning a significant proportion um, of the business. So it's, it's really important that the business maps out a plan for how it's going to function in a post-EOT restructure uh, world and is confident that employee ownership is at least a a viable medium-term plan for the business for all sorts of reasons. If you sell your business into employee ownership and it it isn't a good fit and you try to back out of it or the employee ownership trust has to sell to a third party within a short space of time, um, that's very often a very, as well as disappointing for for the employees, no doubt, that can be um, uh, very punitive from a tax point of view. So it, it is important to 
uh, get everything lined up and feel confident uh, about what that post restructure world is going to look like. That's interesting. Thank you, Matt. So it does sound like quite a bit to consider. So I understand that EOTs can be appealing to company owners as a way of selling their shares. But where does the money come from for that? And how does that bit work? Yeah, so this is a really fundamental difference between um, going down any other kind of of sale route. Because if you imagine selling to, uh, as I say, the typical example, a trade buyer, a a bigger business, perhaps in in a similar sort of sector to you, um, in those circumstances, that buyer might have all sorts of resources. They might have accumulated cash from their own profits. They may be able to borrow competitively. There are all sorts of ways that a, a buyer might finance that purchase. With an employee ownership trust, um, you don't have a financial investor that's looking to, to sort of make a turn or a quick profit. So the money fundamentally has to come from the company itself. And typically, the company will not have enough money in its reserves to pay for the whole business on on day one. So if you have a business, let's say the the valuation of the business is that it's worth 10 million pounds. A business that's worth 10 million pounds will not have 10 million pounds in its bank account. Otherwise, it would be worth more than 10 million pounds. So typically, what happens is it will have some reserves. Maybe it has a couple of million pounds of of excess cash. Um, so what happens is that the business will effectively contribute that to the trust to pay the first instalment of the purchase price. Um, and then the missing £8 million, that can come from principally one of two sources. Either the sellers agree that they will be paid that out over time, So in other words, the company makes further contributions in future, and that might continue for a number of years. And, you know, the the term for that is vendor financing. But essentially, that's a way that the sellers agree to take deferred payments over time. Or potentially, the money could be borrowed. There are uh, lenders that specialize in financing employee ownership structures. It's very different to conventional uh, borrowing in some ways. As I say, the money can only ever ultimately be repaid out of the company's profits. So it, it really does need to be looked at in a lot of detail. In practice, our experience is that uh, a lot of SMEs go down the vendor financing route and, and come to a commercially acceptable schedule for payments over time. The tricky thing as, as a vendor in those circumstances, so if you're the former owner manager who's selling your business into an employee ownership trust, is that you're, you're, you're fundamentally unsecured. So if, if the business goes downhill, um, so let's say that 10 million pounds business was sold into an employee ownership trust and then suffered some sort of catastrophic incident that meant that uh, the business went downhill and, and insolvent after a year or two, you know, the real disaster case scenario, uh, they may just have to write off that, that deferred payment. So the, the risks and rewards of selling into an employee ownership trust are quite different to other kinds of sale. Thanks, Matt. Um, are there any developments on the horizon that people who are considering this should take into account? Yes, there are. So the government launched a consultation recently. The, the consultation has closed, but we don't yet have the outcome of that consultation. Uh, but essentially, the the nub of it is that uh, the government thinks that the rules are a bit too flexible at the moment and uh, is looking to narrow the conditions 
um, which a, a business has to meet in order to get all of those tax reliefs I mentioned briefly at the uh, at the outset. Um, you can see this in a number of ways. I mean, it does mean that employee ownership might might get uh, a little bit less flexible in terms of how you can set it up. But to put a more positive spin on it, it it does mean that the government is, if you like, recommitting to employee ownership. I think because for a while, you know, questions as to whether this government is as supportive of these tax reliefs as the government that introduced it back in 2014. This at least seems to be an indication that that this is here for the long term. In terms of how it's getting narrowed, one of the things that the consultation highlighted was that at the moment, there is no requirement for the trustees. So I'm, I mentioned that you have to have some trustees who hold the shares on behalf of all the, tr- uh, of all the employees. At the moment, there's no requirement that the trustees be independent of the former owners of the business. So there could be a heavy overlap between former owners of the business and the individuals who make up uh, the trustees of the EOT. And the government has identified that as a potential source of conflict, which is a fair point. It is something that trustees need to be really careful of. Um, If they are acting as trustees, um, then they need to, they owe duties to the people who they hold assets on behalf of. Um, So there is that potential for conflict. And the government is essentially saying, well, we want to legislate away that potential conflict by making sure that the trustee body isn't controlled by the former owners of the business, which sounds simple on its face. um, But uh, one of the appeals of the current employee ownership trust legislation is that it allows a lot of flexibility for companies to design a sort of a trustee and corporate government governance arrangement that works for them. So hopefully some of that flexibility will be retained and the new rules won't narrow the options too much, particularly for smaller companies. It's it's all very well if you're a business with hundreds of employees, there may be a very significant talent pool from which to draw potential trustees because very often uh, uh, some of the trustees will be drawn from the employee pool. If you're a smaller business, there is inevitably an overlap between good candidates for the trusteeship uh, and people who might have held equity in the business before it converted to um, an EOT structure. So we'll see. Um, As I say, we don't have the outcome of the consultation. We're waiting to see if the government will go ahead with reforms, and if so, what the detail of those look like. And and really, I just want to pick up on the point around uh, the benefits that this type of structure can bring to to the employees, to the workforce as a whole. Um, How would you say this inspires the next generation and reinforces the culture of the organisation? Yeah, it doesn't happen automatically. I think a really important point to note, if a business is converting to employee ownership, then it, it does have to make effort to ensure that that's made real, if you like, for the, for, for the employees and that they genuinely feel that sense of ownership. Because superficially, it, it might be the case that very little changes from the day immediately prior to converting to an EOT and the day immediately after. But ways in which the, uh, that can be made to feel more real and, and help reinforce the culture uh, of the organization are, as, as, as I've already sort of mentioned briefly, you can take steps to increase employee engagement. That can involve setting up slightly more formal structures for employees to provide feedback to the leadership team. You can also have better representation uh, of employees amongst uh, either the directors of the company or the management uh, more broadly, ensuring that voices from throughout the business 
are heard. Those, if you like, are some of the sort of softer things that a business can consider alongside employee ownership and it's sort of it's all mutually reinforcing because if you've got the owner the employees are owners of the business of course it makes sense that they have a greater degree of feedback in various ways but the the if you like the more tangible uh, way in which it can help with sort of incentivization and recruitment is that that shareholding in the business that an EOT has after this sort of structure is implemented it does have meaningful consequences particularly and this is the the difficult bit, uh, particularly once the former shareholders are paid off. Inevitably, whilst the former shareholders are being paid off, that does put a bit of a restriction on the cash resources of the business. Um, And it's good to ensure that employees are incentivized even during that period. But after that period, so once the former shareholders are paid off, those profits, um, they are going to stay within the business and be distributed to employees. And there are all sorts of ways in which that can be done to really make the employee ownership aspect um, be felt um, by the employees of the business. So to take an example, and this is perhaps the most obvious example, John Lewis is is probably the best known employee owned um, business, and they have a bonus scheme. And the way their bonus scheme works is that Um, At the end of each year, depending on how well the business has done, they declare a bonus for all employees across the board of the same percentage of salary. So in other words, you know, if if the business has has done very well, it might be uh, a higher percentage, um, but everyone gets the same percentage of their salary. So that functions in a similar way to a dividend would in a more conventional owner-managed business and really creates that connection between the employees and the success of the business. And the whole thinking behind employee ownership is that if if the employees are stakeholders in the business, then they will they'll collaborate better. They will um, uh, look for ways to improve the business. Um, they will be less tolerant of underperforming colleagues is another sort of reported effect uh, of employee ownership. It really encourages them all to sort of pull together in the business. So there's all sorts of positive impacts that it can have. For, for a business like John Lewis, with its sort of size and profile, that does bring disadvantages as well, because their um, their bonus scheme is routinely reported on in the press. And of course, if they're not having as good a year, then everyone sees the bonus drop. Um, and that acts as a very sort of tangible measure uh, of their success or, or, or otherwise. But for, for most SMEs, that's not so much of a concern. Thanks, Matt. That's some really, really helpful insights there. Um, I think we've got time for just one more question around this. Of course, for agencies, brand and client perception is is obviously very, very important. What impact would you say employee ownership has on brand and client perception? I I think I think most businesses expect it to have a very positive impact on their brand generally. I mean, going back to John Lewis, I certainly think it's part of their brand and it's something that a lot of people are aware of is that they're employee owned. Uh, I think that creates positive associations for for a lot of their customers. Uh, when you're talking about um, agencies and 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 so on, uh, a, a lot of them, uh, you know, being no strangers to the the power of marketing, <laughs> will make uh, quite a big deal of moving to an employee ownership model. Quite understandably, uh, and that's at least partly in the hope that that has similar sort of positive associations. Uh, uh, amongst their um, customers. It does need to be, to be explained sometimes to, to customers. So I have had situations, for example, 
particularly with uh, larger non-UK customers, uh, where uh, a client of ours that, that had been through employee ownership really had to explain fully what this change of ownership actually mean, uh, meant for, for the business because uh, uh, the, their non-UK uh, clients weren't entirely understanding of, of, of what, was, uh, what was going on. But I think in the UK, there's enough of an awareness of employee ownership as, of, as a model um, that most businesses don't have to have to go through that process. Thanks, Matt. So it sounds like really for business owners who are thinking about succession planning, EOTs can be a really great option to consider. Clearly, also from what you were saying, there are some potentially very significant benefits to be gained for businesses which stem from that greater employee engagement and that sense of value that employee-owned businesses can inspire in their workforce. That was fascinating. Thank you very much, Matt, for that. Um, And if you're listening to this podcast and you're considering employee ownership for your business or you want to learn more about it, please do get in touch with either Matt or myself. Um, Our email address is info at lewissilkin.com. We also have a useful bank of resources on our website, which is lewissilkin.com. Have a great day, everyone, and thanks for listening.